All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you do not have a seat, we apologize. Uh, you are welcome to come and sit on the stage or on the steps. Uh, we don't care. So go ahead and make yourself comfortable if you can. Is somebody sitting in that chair right there? Somebody should sit in these two chairs right here. There's two chairs. Open. Another, another one open right here. Come on. Somebody should take these seats. All right. All right nobody's going to take the Toby, just take the seat, man. It's not a big deal. Well, how are we doing tonight? Doing all right? Awesome. Uh, my name is Ben Post, and I am on staff with Campus Ministry, and uh, today is my favorite day of the whole year. So I love the first well, I love the energy, and I love the, some people are like coming in for the first time, they're like, what is happening? I love the look on the faces for those people. Uh, anyway, welcome to the well. We are so excited that you guys are here. Um, as we, hi, Tom. We love you. Say hi to Tom, everybody. As we begin our year together, I think it would be helpful just to take a minute uh, and explain why we call this gathering the well. Okay? Water is essential for life. And during the time of the Bible... New cities or villages would only be established if there was a water source nearby. And in the arid landscape of the ancient Middle East, wells became essential for survival. Everybody needed the water that was found at the city well. So everybody went there. They would go to the well to rest after a long journey. They would go to the well to water their sheep and goats. They would go to the well just to hang out with people in the community for friendship and conversation. It was also common, actually, for a man to find a spouse at the well, as was true for Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. But most importantly, throughout the Bible, we see that God often met his people at the well. So welcome to the well. We hope that this can be a place for you to build friendships, to build community. We hope that this can be a place where you can have some meaningful conversations. And most importantly, we hope that this can be a place where you encounter God. And as for the spouse thing, I guess we'll just have to see. I'll say this. It's happened before. It will happen again. So make sure you get to know the people that are around you when you're hanging out here, okay? I love, I love sports. Anybody else like sports? I like sports. I like to play sports. I'm getting older, so that's getting harder. But I like to play sports. I like to watch sports. College basketball, college football, those are my favorite things. I mean, football was a good weekend this weekend. Michigan State won. Michigan won. Grand Valley demolished Davenport yesterday. And guys, the Lions even won today. 
I watched zero minutes of that game, but I do know the results. <laughs> However, although I love sports, I have never participated in this thing called fantasy football. I never have, and I never will. And we can talk more about that later if you have problems with that, okay? But if, if there was this thing called fantasy Bible or something like that, I don't know what that would be. I don't know what that game would be. But uh, if there was this thing called fantasy Bible, one of my top draft picks for the Old Testament would be Moses. Moses is a guy who like fills most of the story of the Old Testament, it feels like to me. He became a great leader. He became a great mediator between God and his people. I love Moses. And if I had a top choice from the New Testament for my draft pick, I would pick Jesus. Because I kind of like I kind of like him. I think he's pretty great. <laughs> pretty much he's the best. Uh, not only that, the similarities between Moses and Jesus are very striking to me. Their lives span about 1,500 years. But yet there are numerous parallels from the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. So what we're going to do together this semester is we're going to study the life of Moses and we're going to look at some of the things in his life and we're going to also look at some of the parallels of Jesus, how Jesus' life or some of the stories of Jesus uh, reflect that of Moses. So our series for this semester is called Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. We got a little slide up here. That's our little logo for the semester. Isn't it cute? Thank you, Image Team. You guys are awesome. The Bible is a story about a God who loves his people and wants his people to live out and proclaim God's story. God's people, the Israelites, they fled to Egypt because of a severe famine, and they lived in Egypt for several years. And then they basically just never went back home. And as that people group, God's people, the Israelites, as they grew and as they grew and as they grew, eventually the Egyptians were like, hey, we got a little bit of a problem here because they're, they're growing in numbers, and if they decided to stand up and revolt, we're in trouble. So we're going we're gonna to make them become our slaves. So the Israelites became slaves to the Egyptians for about 400 years years. Egypt was an amazing place. It was a beautiful place, extremely green, fertile. It had a gift of the Nile River. I got a couple pictures here of Egypt. There's a sunrise over the Nile River. Go to the next slide. You can see the green valley right along the water and then the stark contrast with the desert right there. And then one more slide. Very green, very fertile, great for farming. Uh, And the Egyptians forced uh, the Israelites into forced labor. Uh, they were doing a lot of, they were making a lot of mud bricks. They were probably helping out in the fields with the farms and stuff like that as well. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, was the most powerful man in the ancient world. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the ancient world. And he decided that it was time to start 
getting rid of some of these Israelites. So every male that was born an Israelite in Egypt, he ordered for them to be killed. And so they killed all these babies that were being born. Miraculously, there's this guy named Moses who was spared. And you can read this story in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. But basically, Moses was spared miraculously, and he ends up being like adopted by Pharaoh and his family. And so he grows up in Pharaoh's household for like the next 40 years, living in Egyptian royalty. While, meanwhile, the Israelites were suffering horrible persecution. With all that background, I want to look at our story tonight. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, we'll start at verse 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back that we would love to pass out, but I'm not sure we have people that can even make it down the aisle. (laughs) So if you want a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll just pass it on in. Just pass them down. Pass them around. Sure, why not? Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Just Just keep passing them in. Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Also, we have a a tradition or a custom here at the well that when the person who is teaching is done reading uh, the scriptures, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we invite you to say, thanks be to God. Okay, just a a custom that we have here. So Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down an Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so Moses goes out, and he sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite. 
And Moses doesn't like what he sees, so he kind of took matters into his own hands, and he ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand. It's not really one of the stories that we like to highlight about Moses, right? And he thinks, nobody sees it, we're good. And then he finds out later, no, actually, I, there were people that actually saw what I did, including Pharaoh now finds out, the most powerful, wealthiest man in the world. And Moses grew up living in Pharaoh's household. And the text says that Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So Moses did what I think most of us would probably do, and he ran away, <laughs> right? So Moses ran away, and he fled to the desert of Midian. I got a map here. So he goes from Egypt down to Midian, and the text says he sat down by a well. And there's a picture of a well, just so you can, you know, pretend you're there. While he is at the well, there's these seven daughters of the priest of Midian. His name was Jethro who came to the well to water their father's flocks. Some other bully shepherds came along and tried to, like, steal their water. Moses gets kind of ticked off and stands up for these daughters again uh, and helps keep the peace, if you will. He stands up for uh, Jethro's daughters and helps them water their own flocks. Moses was outraged at the injustice again. Thankfully, this time, nobody got hurt, it sounds like, right? Um, And eventually, Moses gets a wife and a son out of the deal. Seems like not a bad day, right? I mean, it's more than a day to get a son, but you know how it goes. And And then Moses goes to the well. But let's, let's go back for just a second. Why... Why did Moses end up here? Why did Moses go to this place, the well, in a desert in Midian? Why do you think? Go ahead and give me an, give me an op- idea. He got thirsty. Why else? Why else is he, I mean, why else is he leaving Egypt anyway? Yeah, very good. Very good. Why is he leaving? He's in trouble. Why else? He's scared, right? He's scared. He's in trouble. He's thirsty. He left Egypt. He ends up in a desert. He finds a well and he sits down there. He killed somebody, and now Pharaoh wanted to kill him too, so he ran away. Running away is a very natural thing to do in this case, don't you think? Shame, disappointment, fear, fear of facing the consequences, these kinds of things often cause people to run or to hide after doing something they've done wrong. And it's been this way ever since the beginning of time. Very early in the Bible, there's this person by the name of Adam and Eve, right? And God says, don't eat from this tree. What do they do? They eat from that tree. It was probably not an apple, in case we need to know that. I don't know what it was, but probably not an apple. 
Uh, and then as soon as they did that, they're like, uh-oh. And they went and they hid. Thankfully, God found them. God's pretty good at this game of hide and seek, right? I mean, what were they thinking? Can they really hide from God? But there's this natural tendency that we all have when we do something wrong, we have this inner desire or whatever to run and or to hide. When I was in kindergarten, I still remember this. It was early one morning. I'm playing in my backyard with a matchbox car. This was not just any matchbox car. This was a Hot Wheels Batmobile. All right, I got a picture of a, a Batmobile right here. And as we all know, the Batmobile does not just go on a road, right? The Batmobile also flies. And so as a kindergartner, I am trying to make sure that my matchbox car is flying really good like Batman does. So a good throw here and there, and that thing was going some good distance. And everything was awesome right up until the Batmobile hit the garage window. And in that moment, I hear my mom call from inside. Ben? Actually, they called me Benji when I was a little kid. So it was more, Benji? It's time to get ready for the bus. Oh, she doesn't know about the window. I left the car there and I broke records getting to the bus stop that morning. Right? And throughout the day, I'm thinking, how are they going to find out? Hopefully they don't find out. How, it could be somebody else. I don't really know. I get home later that night. We're pulling into the garage in our beautiful, fancy, brown and tan GMC Safari minivan. And I'm sitting in the middle seat, and I'm looking straight at the broken window as we pull into the garage. And my dad goes, Hey, Benji, you know anything about this window? Nope. What are you talking? What, what window? It didn't take long before the truth came out. But when that window broke, I was quick to run and to hide because I didn't want to deal with the consequences. There's something natural about this desire to run and to hide. Not just when I'm in kindergarten. Same is true when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I had a lot of fun. I had some friends. Eventually, we started partying on the weekends. Next thing I know, we're partying like every weekend, and I'm making a lot of poor choices with my life. But I was really, really good at hiding that from my parents. Because I'm supposed to be a good Christian boy. Because we grew up going to church twice on Sunday, morning and evening. Also went to a Christian school. So I knew that what I was doing was not the right thing to do. And so I was going to do everything I could to hide that reality. I also, uh, when I was in high school, was introduced to pornography. 
and I eventually became a porn addict. And I was really good at hiding that one because the shame was so massive. I was really good at hiding things, clearing website, you know, browsing history and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I got to college where I met some guys who finally were like, it's okay to not run and hide. It's okay to be real about your stuff. And it's okay to find freedom in this. Because we don't have to be people who run and hide from the stuff that's going on in our lives. We can be real and we can be honest. And in that, we can find freedom and hope and true life. Moses killed a man. And then he ran and he hid in a desert in Midian and he ran to a well. 1,500 years later, Jesus also meets a woman at a well. And I want to read just a few parts of this story. It's in John chapter 4. If you go to the New Testament, I want to look at all-star number 2. John chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the order of the New Testament. John chapter 4, starting at verse 5. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman from Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so Jesus goes to a well in Samaria, and he encounters a Samaritan woman there at a well. Now, the the text says Jews have no dealings or no associations with the Samaritans. Samaritans were actually a racially mixed group of partly Jewish and partly Gentile ancestry, and they were rejected by both Jews and non-Jews alike. They were regarded as continually unclean and had a long history of paganism and apostasy throughout the northern kingdom. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So much so that if you were a Jew living in Jerusalem and you were to go up to Galilee, the the shortest route is to go straight north through Samaria. But they would take an extra three days to avoid Samaria altogether and they would go east, north, and then back, I did that, I did that, yeah, east, north, and then back west. I thought I had it backwards, but I was right the first time. They would add an extra three days just to avoid walking through Samaria. Jesus, the text actually says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he meets this woman, a Samaritan woman at the well, and they begin to have this conversation. Uh, Verse 6 says it was the sixth hour, which means noon. It was the heat of the day. It would have been hot. The sun is beaming hot at that time. 
most people would go to the well in the morning at dawn or later in the evening, kind of at dusk, because that's when the sun wasn't so intense. The only reason really that you would go to the well in the middle of the day was if you were like Jesus and you were getting in from a long journey, and that's the time that you arrived, or if you were filled with some sort of shame and you did not want to deal with the other people in the community that were gathered around the well. So this woman was a Samaritan woman, and Samaritans were considered outcasts. But I think this Samaritan woman who's an outcast is actually an outcast of the outcast. Are you following me? So what is it about her life that considers her that she would be an outcast amongst even Samaritans? John chapter 4 verse 13 says this. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. And she's like, uh-oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. I know you. I know your life. I know your story. I know your stuff. I know that you've had five husbands. I know that you've been trying to figure this thing out. I know you've been sleeping around. I know you. This lady, this woman, was filled with shame, I think, in this moment. But I don't think Jesus, I don't think he's speaking in a way to try to bring her shame. But I think naturally she's like wanting to hide and crawl in a hole in that moment. But at the same time, she's like, wait, how does this guy know this? This is really intriguing to me. And this is when Jesus offers her living water. Look, you are chasing after the wrong things. You're trying to find your hope and your satisfaction and your identity in other things. Come to me and drink the waters that I can provide and that is where you will find hope and that is where you'll find healing and that is where you'll find restoration. Samaritan woman encounters the living God at a well. And it changes her life. So much so that it actually says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. So she left the well and went all over the neighborhood, all over Samaria and said, hey you guys, guess what? I don't have to live in shame anymore. I don't have to run. I don't have to hide. I met this guy. His name is Jesus, and he told me everything I ever did. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. 
Moses ran from his stuff in Egypt, and he came to a well. The Samaritan woman also, in some way, was running from her stuff, and she too came to a well. No matter what you might be running from, no matter what you might be trying to hide, our hope is that you come here to a well where you can find hope and you can find healing and you can find this community of people where you don't have to run and hide your stuff. All of us have screwed up. I've already shared some of mine. All of us are broken. This is, not a, this is a lot of people in this room, and this is really fun. This is not a community of a bunch of perfect Christian people who have all of their stuff together. We are a community of broken, screwed up people with stuff. But we have a God who loves us unconditionally, and we know that there's hope for us. And we believe that He can transform our lives. And this, my friends, is why we gather here at the well. So whether you're struggling with whatever it is you might be struggling with, alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, depression, anxiety, an eating disorder, you name it. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is that you have. This is a place where we can share some of these things with each other and say, we don't want to run and we don't want to hide anymore. Whatever it might be, the well is a place for you to come, to drink of the living water that Jesus offers us. And our hope is that you encounter the life-changing love of God in this place as well. Now, let me be clear. Moses' actions in Egypt were wrong. He killed a man. He did the wrong thing, okay? So let's not try to, like, excuse it or justify it or say, well, he's still a superhero, so he can't make mistakes. No, that's not true. What he did was wrong. But even committing murder did not disqualify him from eventually becoming a Hall of Famer on God's team. In fact, this is how Exodus chapter 2 ends. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard, and he saw the suffering of his people. And the very next thing that happens is Moses calls, God calls Moses to come, follow him, and he is sent back into Egypt to bring freedom for the people who were being horribly oppressed. Moses' sin did not disqualify him from being 
a significant player on God's team. God still had big plan for him. It was not game over. And so tonight, we hope that you feel welcome here. We hope that you hear that it's okay that you are broken and it's okay that you have some stuff in your life. We hope that you hear that. We want you to keep coming back to the well. We want you to encounter the life-changing love of God. Just as you are. Hoping and trusting that you will encounter Jesus. Because there is an incredible God who loves you unconditionally. And he wants you to join his team. Proclaiming the incredible love and grace of Jesus together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks for the gift of life, for the gift of breath, for the gift of studying as students at Grand Valley State University. And we give you thanks for this incredible community of people. God, I just pray that you will will hear our prayers. God, we pray that you will will speak to our hearts. We pray that you will convict us of things that are going on, that we are are doing that we shouldn't be doing, or things we're running from or hiding. God, I pray that you will convict those things in our hearts. And I pray that we can just keep coming to the well, not necessarily this place, but your word and drink of the living water that you offer us. God, I'm so grateful for the people who are here in this room. May they know that they are loved by the king and creator of the universe and by other people here in this room as well. So come, Lord Jesus, be present among us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.